Hello and welcome to season two, episode four of Roy's Rants. Uh, I'm here with my co-host, uh, on again, off again co-host, Alex, aka a. Charles Ross. And uh, if you're lucky, you'll get to hear me have like cardiac arrest and, and die on camera because, uh, or on speaker, because uh, the snowmageddon has hit us and I've already been out twice uh, shoveling out my driveway. So, fun. Lovely. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, funny story about that. My, uh, my fiance um, got me a uh, electric snow shovel. And it's it's one of those things where if it was a light snow, that'd be real fun. It's a little it's a little tiny little thing. The problem is that it's like a boom mic. It's heavy on the end. And I don't know if you ever ran a boom mic for any kind of film production. Your hands, you're balancing around something with a weight on the end. It sucks. It sucks. I've I've never enjoyed ever working boom mic on any film project I've ever done. Um, so now you're doing that. Plus it's, it's so small, the shovel just collects snow and just blocks it. So the, the, you know, the blade can't just spit it out like it's supposed to. Again, it's actually easier for me to take a good old trusty regular snow shovel and just shovel it all out myself. So that's unfortunate. Yeah. 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 I was like, I, I got up the snow shovel. I was like, man, I'm so excited to use this thing. I'll have to kill my back doing this. I'll have to kill my arms and. I was killing my arms and killing my back even worse with the snow shovel than I was with good old regular man power snow shovel. Jeez. So, yeah, I'm gonna. I, I if uh, if our plans go right, and we buy a house uh, this following year. I'm and and I have the like we looked at a house the other day that had a oh it was so nice. It had a studio uh, apartment like a separate building where you had like a working studio and then a studio apartment above it and an extra garage. I was like, oh my god. That would be great if we get this house. I can move my studio out there. Feel like I actually go to work instead of working in my living room. And uh, I will buy a snowblower. I am buying a snowblower next year. <laughs> How are you? I'm I'm good, doing good. I don't have a driveway to shovel because I live in an apartment. So I just have to clear the snow off my car and I get to drive in it tonight. But that's, you know, just got to oh, be careful. Man. Yeah, do be careful. I don't know how it's bad, how bad it is over there. I think we're supposed to get about up to nine inches or so. But I've been, um, I've just been shoveling. I come back like an hour later. Looks like I didn't do anything. Come back an hour later. I think, I think my garbage company said, "Screw you, we're not coming." Which is kind of funny because my garbage thing's like overflowing since I forgot last week. I'm like, I need you to come. I need you to get here and take this trash away, please. But uh, I think that got postponed. Our garbage. I, I mean, better that than they, you know, wreck right in front of me and spill all the trash in my yard. So that know, would be bad. That would suck. Um, seen any good movies lately? Um, well, I'm thinking. Well, I mean, Highlander Endgame, which we'll talk about today. <laughs> yeah. Um, I said good movies. Anyway, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe my expectations are just that low because of some of the other ones. <laughs> true, true. Um, I've been watching mostly TV, so I've been watching a lot of Stargate Atlantis. Uh, so I'm making my way through that show for the first time. So uh, we've been uh, binging um, Big Bang Theory and The Blacklist is what we've been binging. And Big Bang Theory, when I was a you know a young uh, young little nerd 
I don't know. Yeah, 10 years ago. I wasn't that young, was I? Um, when that show first came out, I was like, oh, it's a nerd comedy written by, you know, regular chads who don't know what nerds are like. It's like way too, like, obvious, like, nerdy stuff. And now that I've mellowed out and got older, um, Ruth has caught me. There's certain scenes where, like, Sheldon or Leland will say something, or Leonard, I should say, and, um, and I'm like, oh, it's that, blah, blah, blah. you know, I like answer what they're asking. And she just looks at me and is like, uh-huh. Okay, nerd. <laughs> I mean, the big bank theory is why I got into Babylon 5 is because Leonard and Sheldon <laughs> didn't agree on whether or not it was good. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just finished the episode the other day where, um, what is it, Ivanova has to pretend to mate with a delegate. Oh gosh! Did get a peace treaty? And I had to fast forward that because it was so cringy. I was like, I can't watch this scene. It's so <laughs> stupid. Uh, but I love the show. But that scene and in- in- cringy. Um, so I had to get past that scene. Um, but yeah, like there was a scene where they were playing like I can't remember. It was like Hangman or some sort of just silly little game. But it was in Klingon, and they're like Dach, Bach, Dach, and I'm like. Oh, are they saying Klingon? And and my stepson and my fiance, they look at me and they're like, you freaking nerd. <laughs> yeah, I think it was Boggle, actually. Boggle, yes, it was Klingon Boggle. That's what it was. And um, Which is real, by the way. Oh, that's so sad. Oh, God, so sad. But yeah, uh, Big Bang Theory, having a lot of fun with that. I've, I've mellowed out and I've accepted it as actually really good entertainment. And I got to stop being like, well, I... I think I've grown over the last five years of nerddom. Like, you, you've you seen me get into fights with extreme nerds over stuff that I I would probably say about five, ten years ago, I would have been, like, on the, you know, on that line. So I'm kind of like, whatever, nerds. <laughs> but uh, Blacklist, oh, my God. We, we caught up to last season last year. And um, spoiler alert, uh, episode 13 of season nine, there are walking, talking, killer sex robots. Um, wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. This show has jumped the shark so many times. The shark is Evil Knievel. It's just like, whatever, bro. <laughs> Go ahead, jump on top of me, man. I don't care. It's just like, you know, it's like looking at the fawns. Like, you do you, man. The fawns is jumping through the hoop on fire. The shark, there's like sharks with lasers and all sorts of stuff. Somehow he's jumping all over it. It's just, I... It, I I, I sat there and I watched I watched the 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 the, the one cop like knock over the 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 uh, what I thought was a prostitute uh, mid coitus and the camera pans down and you see like circuits coming out of her neck and she's like zoo, 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 zoo. I'm like oh no 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 blacklist what have you done <laughs> and they and they take it all like with a straight face the entire episode I'm like I can't I, 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 what, what, what is this? So hopefully this next season, um, I, I, I guess, I mean, I could spoiler alert this. There's a, there's a main character at the beginning of the show who is basically the crux of the whole show is finding out who her father is. What is her deal? What is all this secret spy shit that's going on around her? And then there, there is of course, um, age of Ultron. What's his name? Um, um, James um, Spader. James Spader. Is he her father? Is he not? Who the hell is he? What's his connection to her? Why is he so protective? And the um, 
you know, the, the, the whole crux of it came to a close in season eight. They, well, they didn't reveal everything. They, they, they of course, just like, you know, so frustrating. But they, like, kill her off. Sorry, spoiler alert. Show that's from two years ago, so whatever. <laughs> um, they, they kill her off without, without really fully ex- explaining to her the whole deal, what's going on. And um, so I'm like, why are we even bothering with the rest of the show anymore? It's one of those deals, like, I, you know, with, like, Babylon 5, you have a show that's fairly self-contained. It goes five seasons. And, yeah, you do have the TV movie. And yes, technically, that last season on TNT was kind of tacked on. Um, but it still feels decent enough. But then a lot of shows will do that, that they overextend by one or two seasons. And you're like, why? Like, like the X-Files without David Duchovny, I'm like, why did we bother? What was the point of that? You know? Um, that desperate need to keep the show going when you know damn well the formula has changed irrevocably and it's gonna it's gonna kill the audience you know yeah um i know scrubs did that they like took the last season carried two actors over replaced everybody else and i was like yeah no one's gonna like this what do you know it got canceled (laughs) i think i only know this because my mom watches the show i think gray's anatomy is about to lose i mean the namesake of their show I oh, think. she's finally kicking the bucket. My fiance makes me watch it every once in a while. I don't think they're killing her. I mean, I don't know if it's happened already or if they've just discussed that uh, that the actress is leaving. So I don't know if they're going to kill her off or if she's going to move away or whatever. Well, from what I what I'm told, the um, the showrunner Chandra Rhimes. See if this truck can make it past this giant snowplow. Oh, 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 looks like they're passing. Yeah, my neighbor plowed a big mountain on the road. And I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> Cars still need to go past this point, whatever. Um, meanwhile, I have a whole big yard he could have just plowed it into. Like, I have a field over here next to me. Dumb, dumb. Um, but um, Chandra Rhymes, the showrunner of Grey's Anatomy, according to my fiance, is notorious. If, if you piss her off, if you're an actor and you make a stink about something on set, she'll kill your ass. She'll kill your character off. Um, so, my, and she kills off a lot of people on that show. I do get, uh, I, I do unfortunately, I get a little Grey's Anatomy every every two three months, where um, where Ruth has to like catch up, and I'm like, ah shit, it would have to be on a Sunday when we're both in the house at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it's basically a soap opera. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm a I'm a child of the '80s, which means if you were any time at home with your mom, you were watching soaps. Yeah, like if you if there was only one TV, there was there was some soaps going on there. You you learned about Days of Our Lives, um, Days of Our Lives, uh, Little Debbie snack cakes, cigarettes, and um, like Pepsi. <laughs> 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 the average '80s household um, smells, tastes, uh, sensations, <laughs> and game shows and daytime drama. Um, other than you know what we were talking about today, I just want to add like real quick. Um, uh, haven't seen any new movies past Megan was going to go see a man called Otto or whatever it was the Tom Hanks movie but we felt like garbage this past weekend didn't bother to do that um, I noticed that uh, Justin Roiland is out on Rick and Morty um, so before we talk about Highlander I do want to talk about this I personally like there are people out there going oh the show's not going to be the same oh I got hated why you know, I bet this girl's faking it. It's not well. Number one, I've heard the voicemails from him. He's gross. Like, holy crap, is he gross? Um, 
they have a saying, never get to know your heroes. You know what I mean? Um, and Justin Roiland, just kind of listening to him in like podcasts and stuff where he's come on as a guest in other people's things like game drums and whatnot. The dude always came off as kind of dark. Um, he always came off as kind of dark and a little, little, little weird, a little off put offbeat. Um, the, the thing that, the thing that kills me about people are like, Oh, this show, I hate that we know, you know, all this stuff and all this other, like I've, I've literally almost heard people go, boy, I wish I didn't know. Like, I wish no one knew about the scandal. We could just go on. It's like, wow, that's horrible. Um, I do think people should be called accountable for things. And, you know, um, and, and there's a lot of people are like, well, he hasn't been, you know, sent to court yet. We don't know what it is. I'm like, oh, there's enough evidence out there. This dude is kind of bad news. Um, but what, what I, the real thing I want to talk you know, I feel like we have way too much exposure to what goes on. Like, we know how the sausage is made nowadays a little too much. Um, because it's not like there weren't replacements and voices and casting and stuff like that in the past. And sure, we scratched our head and we're like, why? Um, you don't find out till like years later because, you know, not everybody was reading The Hollywood Reporter. You know, only the people in Hollywood were reading The Hollywood Reporter back in the day. And we didn't have immediate access to like what goes on at a company you know what i mean like um i used to love um valerie's family back in the 80s and then it became the hogan's um the main character died in a fire they killed off the main character but they brought in sandy duncan as the aunt and that show actually did better after they killed off the mom of all things and it wasn't until years later that I found out it was because Valerie and her husband slash uh, manager wanted more money. And NBC was like, nah, we'll just kill you. <laughs> I, 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 I would bet you if the voice casting of Rick and Morty changed, let's say they found a person to be like, oh, gee, Rick. And, you know, oh, my God, Morty, you know, and everybody does that voice impersonation. And, yeah, it all sounds the same. It all sounds bad or whatever. I bet you they can find a person who can do Justin Rowland's voice. I think the Morty will be a little bit more complex than the Rick to find a person. You know what I mean? Yeah, they I hadn't heard about hire... that. Sorry, sorry, go ahead. I just said I hadn't heard, I hadn't heard about that. Yeah, no, um, Cartoon Network has cut ties with him. Um, so Rick and Morty, the voices, they're gone. Um, I think that means there's like, what, Mr. Poopy Butthole and all the other little wacky characters are probably gone too. There's a lot of characters that he gone um but like i said there's lots of people who do bad impersonations out there i'm sure there's someone who does a good one i'm sure they could do a casting call i'm sure they could find it if we didn't have the internet if we didn't know about this scandal or whatnot and granted if you go back in time more than likely this scandal would have been brushed under the rug anyway but let's say for a fact you know it was called into public back you know say this show was made 20 30 years ago um, we would have had a casting change and they would have just said, oh, you know, we're just got to do something a little different. He's moving on to do some other things. We wouldn't even know. We would be none the wiser. And we would have been, yeah, it sounded a little weird. Took a little bit, a bit of getting adjusted to, but we were okay. Um, I know this because this happened to us, you know, many times back in the 80s and 90s. We didn't realize, you know. Um, my perfect example is uh, Donatello in the Ninja Turtle movies. Granted, I didn't care for the Donnie in, in Ninja Turtles 2. I like him now. Like, I don't have a problem with that that guy who did Donnie in, in Turtles 2. I actually kind of like him. 
I also like felt you know Feldster as Donnie as well, but I don't mind the second guy. And we didn't know as kids that it was because uh, you know Corey had gotten into drugs too much and had to go to rehab. We didn't know. You know, we just kind of shrugged our shoulders and moved on. So uh, at that age, I didn't even notice that there was a difference. <laughs> oh, I did. I did when I was a kid. See, that's the funny thing. Like I said, the younger I, the younger version of me is like the internet troll now. Like I was a little shit back in the day. Like I was the guy who collected Transformers, but back in my head, I was like, boy, I wish he had more articulation or more. I was, I was like a little Sheldon, I was a little prick. <laughs> um, sorry if you're hearing my chair creaky. I gotta, I gotta oil this up. But um, yeah, so I'm more mellow now than ever when it comes to accepting nerd stuff and change of the guard and stuff like that. So, anyways, talking about um, accepting things as they were. <laughs> Um, and I didn't, uh, oh God, I didn't pull up my IMDb. I kind of suck. I'm a little behind today. I think the snow shoveling got, uh, a little cut off, uh, cut off oxygen in my brain, but, um, what's that? I said, that'll definitely do it. (laughs) Yeah. We're going to talk about Highlander three, the final dimension or the sorcerer (laughs) or the sorcerer or the, you know, all the other names, whatever the hell you want to call it. Um, so I think you said, uh, I think you said in a former conversation that you weren't a fan of the idea of adding extra magic to the Highlander franchise, like the the mytho- like the mythology or lack thereof, the mystery of it all. And the first movie was good enough, well as is. Right. Um, yeah. So I, I this hate... one must have been a hard pill to swallow, huh? <laughs> yeah. The first the first act is rough. Uh, I mean, I love Mako, but it's just. Him and um, Christopher Lambert just don't have anywhere near the chemistry that Lambert had with Sean Connery. Uh, What what was so funny was I was watching this the other day to kind of take notes and um, Ruth was getting ready for work and she walks in and she sees um, McLeod talking to um, Nakano, the sorcerer played by Mako, Mako, Mako. Um, And she hears like Lambert talk and she's like boy he is horrible and she still hasn't watched High- she refuses to watch Highlander I get so pissed off I can't get her to watch Highlander which is a fantastic film and I love Lambert and he, he's great um, but it, it kind of proves what you're saying like there's no chemistry between the two of them it feels very forced it feels like we just needed a new Ramirez, you know, Ramirez. I started saying it like Mago Ramirez <laughs> Um, yeah, so there's definitely force. And, um, the other thing is like J. Peter Robinson, who does the music for it. Um, he was like around that time, around like 94, 95, when this came out, um, he was kind of a big shot. He was kind of getting like big films like New Nightmare and this and a couple others. And then he just kind of disappeared. I haven't seen him in recent years. I don't know what the hell he's doing, but one of the things about the the soundtrack in this particular movie is it feels almost like some of the music comes off as almost red shoe diaries like softcore porn <laughs> so so like when he's like training uh highlander and it's getting all mystical and and, it, and i'm like i'm waiting to hear like the gregorian monks like that that 
that song that came out in the in the real early '90s, that Gregorian monk chant. <laughs> um, I put a note here. So I miss Queen. Boy, I miss Queen. <laughs> yeah, that was the thing. As I was just like, well, I mean, I don't think I mean Freddie Mercury would have been gone by this point, so it's not like Queen yeah. could have written new music for it. I mean, they could have. You have Brian May still wrote for them. I, True. I think at this point, Queen was. I think they were trying. I can't remember if George Michael had joined on for a little bit. They put out an album, um, and then he passed away. I can't remember who's singing with them nowadays. If they do anything at all now, I don't ever remember them officially breaking up. Breaking up, just kind of not being there, you know. Right. Um. So yeah, you know, they do the whole like you know fighting. They use a lot of morphing. CG magic and stuff because you know he's a wizard he's got magic yeah yeah my favorite thing that they add to Highlander magic yeah yeah the morphing tool thanks Willow <laughs> uh, but yeah I mean um, it's funny because as a as a youngster when I watched this as a teenager I actually liked the idea of extra magic I was like well, why not but I also see your point at the same time yeah it's it makes it silly <laughs> So then um, we are introduced to our Kurgan of the movie. Kane. Mario, Mario Van Peebles as Kane, continuing the K tradition. Continuing the K tradition. Every villain has to have to start with a K. Um, and yeah, he's doing his best Kurgan impersonation post next slice. Um, but I do like Mario Van Peebles. I don't know what it is. Like, I wish he had had more fame. Like, I feel like he did a lot of B-movies, like, B-action movies. One of the reasons why he's even in this movie is that uh, he and Christopher Lambert filmed an action movie before this. Right. That, I can't remember the name of it. <laughs> yeah, they did a movie together, and I guess they had so much fun. Uh, Lambert was like, well, one of the conditions for Highlander 3 is I want this guy to play the villain. Um, and he's okay. Like, yeah. Um, here's the thing I almost prefer Katana because Katana is more fun but technically technically Kane is a better villain he makes better decisions yeah it feels yeah. like an actual threat yeah I was gonna say I was like well remember how when we talked about Highlander 2 how Katana basically made himself look like an idiot every 10 seconds he did so yeah um, Kane yeah Kane is definitely um a lot more fun and I I um I, I, lo I love like when he goes into the um, the chamber when they find that he he has two guys with him he has a little posse and, and this kind of continues the tradition like well Highlander 2 he, they sent Corta and Reno to kill Connor Katana never really like did anything with them you know in the yeah. same room and so Kane is running around with these other immortals doing this stuff and I'm like you guys realize the whole rule is there can be only one, right? So eventually Kane is going to try and kill you or you're going to try and kill him. So kudos to them employing that factor before like, you know, George Lucas with this whole rule of two with the Sith or whatever, you know, that backstabbing can't have too many powerful guys around me um, kind of thing. You know, Highlander kind of did it first. Even yeah. No, I don't know about the expanded universe of Star Wars. That's, that's extra nerd stuff. I don't get into that. <laughs> Yeah, it's happened but, a couple of times where like an immortal has had like a posse of other evil immortals and right. And we'll talk about more posses when we get to part four there, but Yeah. Um so yeah, the power of illusion, you got all these Makos and Kane, uh, of course he's one sweat 
and he does this really gross thing where he picks up the bead of sweat and licks it. I'm like, oh, dude. Oh, yeah. God. The hell's wrong with you? Yeah, Kane is super weird. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, they fight. And since he cut off the sorcerer's head, you know, of course, Connor gets wounded. We see a little flashback where we see our real villain, Kurgan, for a split second. I'm like, yay, Kurgan. Oh, he's gone. Um, <laughs> uh, of course, uh, Connor gets blown out of the mountain. And I love, I love that Mako is such a powerful immortal that even after his head chopped off, he can still talk shit. Yeah, to Kane. <laughs> and, and Kane's like, they could be only one. And Mako's like, that's true, but it will not be you. <laughs> <laughs> and he brings the cave down on them. Um, uh, Kane and his poor little uh, guys, who I don't remember their names because I don't even think they ever mentioned them in the movie. Um. So, basically, they get stuck in a cave. Imagine being stuck in a cave for 400 years. That has got to be boring as hell. Yeah. Yeah. And I... Sorry, go ahead. No, I was, I was clearly agreeing that, I mean, what did they do through that entire time? Were they unconscious or did, were they just in the cave? Right. I mean, it's it's one of those things where, like, do they just die over and over again? Do they, like, asphyxiate, wake up, asphyxiate, wake up, asphyxiate? Like, I don't know... That suck. <laughs> um, yeah, so it, it is one of those things where the, the rules of Highlander always play fast and loose when it comes to that sort of stuff. Like, y- you know what I mean? Like in certain areas, sometimes they get wounded gravely, but they don't die. Other times they do die, then come back. I'm like, shouldn't you die every time and come back? I don't, I, you know. It's it's all plot convenience. Whatever works for the script, I guess. But. Yeah, is it implied that this is a sequel to the original movie and it doesn't take place in the universe of the show? Is that correct? Yes, Highlander 3 ignores Highlander 2 and Highlander the series. Okay, so because, I mean, he's riding, he's, he's walking with his son, Connor, and he gets like this feeling somewhat similar to Highlander 2 where the other mortals start to appear. So it's implied that he is immortal again. Yeah, <laughs> so funny. I was just about to say, like, um, so you know, yeah. You flash forward to the present. We meet Deborah Unger, um, and she's researching the cave of Nakano, conveniently enough. And they excavate near where Kane is, and uh, in the middle of the night, Kane and company break out. And it's been 400 years. Kane hasn't chopped the guy's head off. So he tells the one dude, go find Connor. Nothing more. Just find him and tell me where he is. And the other one's like, where are we? What's going on? This place looks strange. And Kane's like, don't worry about that. There can be only one. And it's like, you know, it, it's, just, it's just one of those things where it, the, 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 the one guy's at least smart enough to be like, okay, I got to go kill Connor McLeod because this asshole is going to come for me next. Right. <laughs> you know, so he's like, yeah, oh, sure, I'll go find Connor for you. Um, you know, because he just felt a quickening. He just felt like his friend just get his head chopped off not two seconds after he left him. So it's, it's just obvious there's some trust issues there. Desert. And you see uh, Connor ha- hanging out with his adopted son, Jake. Um, Brenda is nowhere to be found. Poor Brenda. Brenda has died so many different ways in different versions. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, there's even a deleted scene in Endgame where it's implied that the villain in that one um, caused the car accident that kills her. So even in the TV universe, Brenda bites it. Um, so uh, 
yeah, so Brenda's gone, but he's got an adopted kid now, and he's hanging out in the desert, which they keep using Mediterranean, like Middle Eastern type music, whatever, like your Prince of Persia, some shit. But it clearly feels very much like they just filmed a back lot in Mexico. Um, <laughs> there's a Qdoba restaurant right behind the camera. Um, that was horrible of me. Sorry. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so he's living the good life. He's, you know, he's he's supposedly mortal. That explains the aging. But by Kane coming out of this cave, he feels that power, that pull, the quickening. Um, like you said. And so now he's back in the game. So is it the same thing with Highlander 2 where he can feel him, but he's not quite immortal yet, not until he cuts off the next guy's head? Or, you know, again, the rules are very just absolute um, chaos when it comes I to just, this stuff. I just assumed that he was immortal right away. Um, I mean, well, they didn't I, I, really explain it. And, and what is it about that cave? Is it because it's magic? Because the sorcerer was, was did block it from the prize, and that's why he experienced the prize? I know? guess. Or whatever entity that does that has set up this whole thing was like, <laughs> well, they're trapped under a mountain, so they don't count. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a lot there that just kind of like, was the Kurgan's quick, was the prize not really the prize when he killed Kurgan, but killing Kane really unleashes the prize. I don't, you know, it, it, it is, there's a lot of questions there, a lot of head scratching, but um, yeah, I even wrote a note here. Was the quickening a fake? Does anyone understand these rules? <laughs> Did the gathering just forget Kane? You know, like, okay, all right. Um, and this is the problem with doing sequels for every five years about a character who's not supposed to grow old, who's supposed to be immortal, is that you see the actor age. You know, you're, it's yeah. not like, I mean, it'd be one thing if they shot these movies back to back. Like, we realize that he's an immortal, so we need to keep him young, you know? And nowadays with digital de-aging, you can kind of get away with that. It gets expensive, but you can get away with it now. But back then, they just filmed an old dude, put a wig on him, and say, here's a flashback, <laughs> you know? Right. Uh, uh, I guess they got away with him looking older in part three because he technically aged in world because he was mortal for a little bit. Right. But the flashbacks, it's just like, well, that's still old ass Connor, but with a wig, you know? Right. Um, it's, it's one of those scenes where like, like in the latest, um, the Obi-Wan TV show, and they did flashbacks between Anakin and Obi-Wan and they really didn't de-age them. They just put them in the wigs they had around um, Clone Wars. So you can kind of see they're old. Like, you can tell he's old. You can tell it's older. It's an older Anakin. And it's really weird. Yeah, um, which is strange because Disney definitely has the technology to do that. They've done it in the other Star Wars and Marvel right. films. That's a whole nother thing. Right. I, I, I bet the director was like, can we have the budget for it? They're like, nah, dog, sorry. Not this episode. <laughs> Just put them in wigs and, and blur the lens a little bit. People will be fine. <laughs> um, so yeah, Connor comes back as Russell. I, I did like this. This is one of the things I like about Highlander 3 is that it is a sequel to Highlander. It does not ignore the events of Highlander. I, it doesn't understand the events of the quickening and everything, but it does understand the components of Highlander because when he comes back, he comes back as Russell, Russell Nash. You know, and there's cops there who remember him from back in the day when Brenda worked in the department. 
Right. Um, you know, so that's really cool. One of the things that I thought was funny is this is still the age and era where they think um, all films uh, around this time, when you go to New York, you immediately, you immediately get <laughs> gangbanged. Um, Super- well, I guess Supergirl wasn't New York. It was just Earth. <laughs> I just like, I just think it's funny though. Like in that day, like, like Friday the 13th part eight, man, you go to, there's to- barrels of toxic waste. There's, get, there's, homeless people willing to give you drugs to get you high just because they're evil you know <laughs> that's not how that works usually homeless guys like lay off my drugs asshole that's my drugs <laughs> that's my escape from the cruel world why would i give it to you <laughs> you know but yeah it's, and it's so funny this move this movie's very um i don't i don't want to say it's racist towards hispanics but it does stereotype hispanics <laughs> like the voices they use like you can almost tell they're dubbed over the, the, the gangsters that shoot him and the people in the mental uh, in the hospital where he goes to because they're all they all sound like Jichin Chong man they're like hey man you in the wrong barrio man Holmes we're oh, yeah <laughs> it's really bad um, but he gets shot immediately which I was like I thought about it and I was like how many bullets do you think are in Highlander from all the times he's been shot or does he pass them out like like does, does he pass through a stool does he cough them up I assume it's like Wolverine where it just pushes it out of him. And they just never bother to ever show that effect. Right. Maybe. Right. I would just I would just love to see a scene where he goes through a metal detector and they do an x-ray and they're like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Sir, you need to see a, a doctor immediately. It's like, ah, don't worry about it. <laughs> um, so he, they, they, they take him into the hospital and this is the most miserable doctor I've ever heard. Like, this guy is, like, such an a-hole. Um, you know, he's like, oh, multiple gunshots. He's like, what the hell is this? And he's, like, screaming at the orderlies and, like, why you bring me this bullshit? <laughs> and uh, Connor comes back to life and he has a little panic attack. Um, he starts screaming nonsense. So they, they put him in the psych ward, which I thought, I, I loved that scene where he meets a guy who thinks he's uh, Napoleon. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah, that was since, since Connor... Sorry, go ahead. As uh, his, his favorite character in the movie was that 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 one guy. <laughs> Wellington, you swine. Um Yeah, I um I love that because it's like this makes sense. Connor lived through Napoleon. <laughs> he is a history buff. He knows all this stuff. And so he, you know, he starts saying names, oh, I'm your trusted advisor, and I have this mission, I gotta kill Wellington. Convinces um uh, you know, convinces uh, Napoleon here to start a riot and to distract the hospital orderly so he can slip out. And of course, um, here's here's the convenience of movies like these uh, is that a lot of times in these movies, they cut out a lot of scenes where it's like, well, how does character get from point A to point B to point C, right? It's always something um, that is, you know, always uh, mentioned. So, of course, <clears throat> Kane's buddy is in he's in new york now he is in um you know he has he has made it to uh new york and he is actually at the same hospital i guess the gathering is on he can feel it um so he is in the laundry room um trying to find connor who happens to wander down to the laundry room uh which i think you know for set wise i can tell this is a lower budget film compared to like the first highlander movie it's still a cool set. I think it's a really cool set with all the pipes and the steam and the very eighty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With all the all the um, 
like the the drapery and everything uh causing like shapes and stuff and shadows and everything it was really it really set the mood but um there was this uh, now my neighbor is talking to my mailman so if you pick that up i don't know what's going on there <laughs> got all my neighbors with these um snow shovels just they're they're loving it just shoveling under the road and everything it's like oh, i get to play with the atv um there i am with my shovel breaking my back <laughs> but uh there was a scene earlier where mako is showing like connor like that you know back when i said the the softcore porn music was playing where you know he grabs he's like attack me highlander and he grabs the sword swings it around and and they do this funny like seizure inducing color flash <laughs> like they switch a negative um and that's how you grab the sword off the other guy and chop the other guy's head off um Ugh. and they they do a similar thing like this in endgame too where there's a there's a unbeatable sword maneuver right and this dude comes after um you know connor and he's like you've already lost and he grabs the sword and chops the guy's head off and gets his gets his quickening um that was a good quickening though like like everything's blowing up the mountain dew cans are exploding the the washing machines are chugging and all that kind of crap you know um and, and so you know he he gets his first taste of the quickening and and you know bad you know kane has a quickening we're we're, we're you know two kills already two action scenes we're good we're doing good um and then of course we see kane since he's a wizard even though it's the power of illusion, somehow he can teleport. Um, well, he turns into a bird a couple of times, so I, he could have flown too, I guess. He flown, then he, he flew to like the dog, then he did like a portal and he jumped out of it. I don't know. Yep. Um, so the power of illusion is very loosey goosey in this movie, like the rules, how it works. Uh, but now he's he's now in civilian clothing. So he's a very fashionable guy. I love the shades, love the, love the hoodie, really good stuff. Um, <laughs> he's very fashionable. I'm just saying. Uh, we uh, we see a scene where Ru- Russell gets back. You know, Connor gets back to the um, the old antique store, and the weird, creepy detective um, is there because they found the the dead body at the hospital. Um, and he's like, "I remember things. You you'll forget." And, uh, you know, he meets he meets up with Nash. He's waiting outside his apartment. Or, you know, he's like, Russell Nash! And you could tell, like, this dude, like, had, like, a thing for Brenda. And it was kind of, like, it was very creepy. And I was like, I, I, at first I thought he was, I thought he was Garfield. I thought he was the creepy cop who um, started um, saying crap to, to, to Connor in the interrogation room back in the first movie. He's not. He's just another creepy cop. I'm like, how many creepy cops are in this precinct? that like obsessed over Brenda and hated that this dude Connor was getting some. <laughs> so all these creeps who are just after the metallurgist who happens to work with the police and forensics. Oh boy. Um, <laughs> yeah. So this guy like threatens Connor and Connor's like, yeah, have a good day. Leave me alone. Whatever. Piss off. <laughs> and Connor has a flashback, realizes that the scientist lady, um, he sees on the TV, it just happens to be the blonde version of the redhead he fell for during the French Revolution. Yeah, they were like related somehow or something. Uh, yeah. And oddly enough, the scientist's name is Alex. Her name yeah. is Alex. 
Yeah, I uh, I mean, I like Deborah Unger, but at the same time, I don't. I don't know what it is. Again, I think it's that Red Shoe Diary. It's that Skinamax After Night type of vibe she gives me. Yeah, uh, she's fine in the movie. <laughs> she's fine, but it does feel very low rent, this movie, sometimes when it comes to these things. Um, then we cut back to Kane, and he's walking on the streets. And this, oh, God, I love this scene. Oh, this scene. Um... I, well, the two scenes. There's two scenes. One, he meets this um, little person, and this other dude playing a card game. Um, it looks like the little person is literally a little person version of Wesley Snipes. Um, <laughs> and they do this card game, and of course, Mario can do the magic of illusion, so he like tricks the game, so he wins, takes the money. Um, and the, the little Wesley Snipes like, hey man, my money, and turns around now Mario Van Peebles has Wesley Snipes little Wesley Snipes sunglasses and shit yeah um, and then of course, uh, and I can hear the music in my head when Mario Van Peebles is looking at the sex shop window, and this pimp who's got the beret on he's got the, cu- I, I don't know where they dress this guy up, I was like, what is this dude's deal, he's like the man wants vinyl when he can have the real thing <laughs> yes. And he's like, come over here. And they meet up with, and I'm not trying to be mean here, but she so reminds me of Trini from Power Rangers when she was in the Crow Part 2. <laughs> Just the outfit and everything. Sorry, Trini. Sorry, Thoi Trang. Rest in peace. Not trying to talk shit on your legacy. But um, you meet this girl, and they do the, you know, like in the first movie when he's in the hotel room, the girl's like, hi, I'm Candy. And Kurgan's like, of course you are. You know, it gets real rough and psychotic. But this one tops it. Because you got this girl with a thick Asian accent. And she's like, oh, you big boy. I'm <laughs> telling you, no glove. No love. Right, no love. And she throws the condom at him. He grabs it. He doesn't know what a condom is. This guy rapes and pillages all day long. He doesn't care. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know if I can say the word, the R word. He SAs villagers all the time. Yeah, um, he eats it too. Yeah, but he, he, he opens it and he thinks it's like candy or gum or something. He puts it in his mouth. He's like spits it out. Ah, that that scene was brilliant. And is it I implied that it. he kills her? Or does he just have sex with her? Um, my guess is it is the brutal. Like she screams. It's brutal. Imagine, like, I don't know if you ever watched Cape Fear with uh, Robert De Niro, Bobby D. Have you seen that? I don't think so. Oh, my God. You have to watch Cape Fear. Cape Fear is so good. Um, Cape Fear is a uh, remake of an old 50s film um, starring Robert Mitchum. Uh, and in this one, it's Bobby De Niro and Nick Nolte as a lawyer puts him away. Bobby D., have you ever seen the episode of The Simpsons where Sideshow Bob gets out of prison and swears revenge on Bart? The music they play every time he swears revenge is the theme from Cape Fear. Okay. Um, and it's all about, it's basically the same, they, they basically make fun of Cape Fear. The whole episode is like Cape Fear. So Bobby D gets out of prison and there's a, there's a woman who is clearly having an affair with Nick Nolte's character. Um, Nick Nolte is married to Jessica Lang, and it's got Julia... Um, <gasps> Julia Lewis, I want to say. Kid actress in the 80s, 90s. From Dust Till Dawn. She's in Yellow Jackets. I think that's the same one. Um, and so, 
Nick Nolte's having an affair uh, with this other lady while he's married to Jessica Lang, and Bobby D's character figures this out. Well, he winds, he kind of like sleezes his way to being this this woman, and he essays her, he bites her face, he messes her up. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't unalive her, but he puts her in a state where she kind of wishes he was. That's how I feel. Kane probably left this lady. <laughs> yeah. Because um, I don't know if he needs to kill her or not. You know what I mean? I don't think that's really his vibe right now. He's like, right now I'm just thinking sex and I'm a, you know, I'm a hoarding barbarian. So it's rough. <laughs> um, so yeah, no glove, no love. Probably the best damn scene in the movie besides, uh, besides Napoleon. So Napoleon and no glove, no love. That is like brilliant, brilliant stuff. Um, Let's see. So we're fine. You know, we, we have a um, finally a confrontation between Kane and Connor at a Buddhist shrine. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, and that is that's the fun stuff about Highlander, like the TV show, the movies and everything, because he's been around for like so many hundred years. He's so cultured that you got this guy who owns an antique shop who also goes to a Buddhist shrine to practice sword fighting. And, you know, does all these other weird stuff. That's, that's, I love the whole idea of being an immortal. And you like, you have a lot of hobbies because you're immortal. You have right. to fill your life with shit. Otherwise, you get bored and go insane. Right. So we have the battle and it's holy ground. And we've always wondered, we're like, you know, well, you can't fight on holy ground. So we get a little taste of that. Yeah. Um, and they, they destroyed the sword, the sword that Ramirez gave. McLeod, like you know what what are we doing here how do you do that that's sacrilege well they fought on holy ground it's their fault it's true this is true um it is kind of funny it's just them swinging around on on cords at this like this training center or whatever it's on this buddha shrine um so you know things start getting really weird the sword shatters wind starts blowing things start rattling kane realizes he may have gone a little too far He's like, uh, I could kill you now, but I think I gotta leave. Well, and I so think Kane's sword shatters too. Like, I think both their swords hit each other, and both of them shatter, so they can't kill each other. I'm gonna have to look at it again because I could have swore his sword was still good. But he's magic; he can make a new sword anyway. So, I mean, <laughs> he literally is, you know, a walking plot device. So. This was also the thing that confused me like when I first saw this movie that made me think that it was part of the TV show because there's a, a line that Connor says to Alex where he's like, there's a lot of McLeods in the phone book. Uh, so I, I don't know what that's supposed to mean. I feel like that's just a throwaway like Smith. You know, like there's a lot of Smiths out there in the world. I think that's what he was getting at. Um... You know, because McLeod is not. See, I guess to him, he thinks it's a common name. Not really. Right. <laughs> not my life. I don't know any McLeods. So, It'd be cool if I did. They'd hate me. I'd be like, oh, there can be only one. I try to kill them like every time I meet them. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, he, he, they, you know, he's now connected with the scientist lady. Um. And, 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 you know, Kane's off doing his own shenanigans. And McLeod has to go back to the highlands of Scotland and 
this is the first time we get Donnie Portmore or whatever it's called the uh, the uh, Scottish song that they start playing in like everything Highlander from now on <laughs> yeah um, and you know he's trying to build the sword again and it's one of those things where like you know in my head folding a piece of metal like 400 to a thousand times to make it sharp and durable that sounds like it takes a long time that sounds like something more than a montage you know what I mean but you know he's trying he's trying but it's up to um it's up to Alex's character by taking that Chinese bar of metal and and hitting it against the metal. Somehow this is the key to him making a new sword. So she packs her crap, goes to Scotland, gives him the gives him the block, shows him the thing. They have a little montage. And of course, since it's Highlander, he has to tell her how old he is and somehow that turns her on and they have sex. Of <laughs> yeah. Of course. I mean, I get like why he's attracted to her because, you know, right. she reminds him of somebody, but it's just like from her like, point of view, it doesn't I mean, I get that she wants to help him with the sword and stuff, and I, I can buy that, but it's just like find it hard to believe that they like each other enough to, to do it. Yeah, I would love a scene in a Highlander movie where, you know, something really exciting has just happened maybe he just killed a guy saved the lady and you know maybe he got stabbed or something and he turns around and he's like yeah I'm Connor McLeod I was born in 1532 on the shores of Loch Shiel and I cannot die and he goes in to kiss her and she's like whoa whoa hey 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 I just met you <laughs> it's not as sudden as the sex scene from Highlander 2 but it's still it's, not great it's, it's not but it's still it's still pretty bad and of course this is where i say the red shoe diary the softcore porn stuff really kicks it into gear here oh yeah um uh, christopher lambert must have something in his contract like yeah i gotta bang this chick within two <laughs> seconds of meeting her um and let's make it saucy shall we <laughs> but he sold it yeah he sold it um so you know he forges the new sword and meanwhile um, Kane goes through Connor's stuff, starts breaking all his valuables, <laughs> and uh, John sends a message saying he's coming over to the states. And that's when Kane realizes that McLeod has a has a vulnerability. So, right. So, like, he just met Deborah Unger. He can't kidnap Deborah Unger's character. That doesn't. I mean, fine, it banged or whatever, but it's not really as good as Brenda, even though they've got that flashback connection. Kidnapping the kid takes it to a whole nother level because there's an actual connection there. Right. Something worth, you know, fighting for. And um, they do the whole, I, I love, <laughs> he's he's changed himself into uh, Connor to pick up this kid. And they go outside and it's just a regular old beat up sedan. And Jake's like, where's the Porsche? And <laughs> Shut up and get in the car. And McCaw's like, get in the car. Little punk. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I'm like, there's some great lines in this. I gotta admit, like going like watching it now again after all this time, I'm like, you know what? There's some good stuff here. There really is. Um and he does he kind of does the revamp of the time when Kurgan kidnapped Brenda and goes to the city, yeah, wrecking up a car and everything. Um so you know, now we've got Connor's got a new sword, he's got more determination now. Kane's got his son. They have their they they start with the final battle, which is in an industrial factory. Of course, it is. We have to have that, you know. Um, 
that, that that's the funny thing is like you know the la- the first movie starts at the end like uh, by the silver cup sign um, in New York so it's just in a building like a warehouse type thing uh, second movie's got like a gothic church and an industrial complex with like a laser beam in the background right <laughs> and now we're just doing the back lot of Batman 1989 the Ace Chemical Factory <laughs> I love the sets for these films. I do. I do. It's fun. Um, Kane does all sorts of crazy stuff, like morphing into walls. He's turning weird, rolling, like flying um, fan blades. He's pretending to be uh, Deborah Unger uh, at one point, um, which is, I, I mean, that's a good scene. It really is because, like, she comes up to him and then, like, Connor realizes, stabs her, and she's like, ooh, you know, and like morphs into him, whatever. Um, but then the final, final battle, we're like finally fighting, and I love this, like this music. I remember in the theater listening to this, and all of a sudden I was like, why the hell do I suddenly want to listen to Motley Crue? Yes, Dr. Um, feel good. Yeah, I was just like, how did they rip this off without like Motley Crue suing their ass? Because it's it's literally just them fighting to hear. I'm like, holy crap! Do um, they not have the right to that song? I don't think so. I don't. I mean, I, I'd have to. I'd have to do some deep digging. Um, there's no lyrics, and they do change it up. Right. I I do love the music, but it is freaking Doctor Feelgood. <laughs> yeah. Um, and finally, you know, Connor gets a gets a nice slice across one side of the neck, and he does another slice across the other side of the neck. And I love, I, to this day, I love the movement. They have this dummy fall, and he kind of falls to his knees, and Mario Van Peebles' head just kind of does on a swivel, just like back and forth, like, "Oh no, you didn't!" <laughs> <laughs> the head falls. We have our quickening. It's an even bigger quickening than the first quickening. You know, he's floating everywhere. And uh, CG effects, 90 CG effects, shit blown up. Really bad CG matte overlay of an explosion over the factory. <laughs> and Connor's back to being okay and hanging out. He's now got a, a, a metallurgist or a historian scientist girlfriend and an adopted son. And they go off into the sunset happy. The end. Or is it? Or is it? I feel, isn't there? Am I remembering this right? Wasn't there uh, a shot of like like lightning hitting a sword or something, like at the very end before the credits rolled? Yes, I think there is. That's I. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely a sword, lightning strike hitting the sword, which is completely unnecessary, and I don't know what that even means. <laughs> Besides, just a little flash. Um, but there will be no Highlander 4 with just Connor McLeod. We're going to wait a little while. We're going to wait a few years. But, you know, um, your final thoughts on Highlander 3 before we move on to the next chapter? It's it's fine. It has a lot of stupid moments. Technically, it's a better movie than Highlander 2. But Highlander 2 is almost more fun to watch because it's just so bat crap crazy. Um, like I said, Kane is technically a better villain. He makes better decisions I, I was generally like concerned for connor's son when he got kidnapped because i was like well highlander hasn't shied away from killing off you know beloved side characters so i felt bad for this kid um but yeah it's 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 fine the movie's fine <laughs> highlander three it's fine 
<laughs> um, a lot of fans back in the day called it Highlander 3, the apology. Um, because of how betrayed we all felt with Highlander 2. But I do get what you're saying. Because Highlander 2 is so different. Uh, sorry, I just got a message. Um, because Highlander 2 is so different from the other Highlander movies, I think it does stand out a little bit more. Even though it's it's bleak, it's dark, um, the characters are comic, you know, they're like cartoon characters, like an 80s ac- action cartoon character. Um, Highlander 3 uh, being basically Highlander 1 just reskinned. Yeah. Um, you know, that's the thing. It's like, it's so obvious that Kane is Kurgan. Yeah. You know, we've replaced Brenda with two characters now. Um, a sci- another scientist and a kid, you know, it's it, it's the same movie. It really is, just with added special effects and, you know, not quite the same heart. Um, and so, I, you know, it it was fine. It was, it, like you said, it was fine. Um, so we're going to fast forward. We, we, we basically, we had Highlander 3, and at the same time, Highlander the TV show was going on. And what confused me about that at the time as, as, a, as a teenager was... This whole idea of having a spin-off TV out of a movie show that has no connectivity to the movie, um, you know, it, it isn't it isn't necessarily a new thing. Like, you know, you have Logan's Run the movie, Logan's Run the TV show, you have Starman the movie, you have Starman the TV show, um, RoboCop, RoboCop the series. This has been done before. This is not, not anything new. Um, where they take, like, basic bare thread elements of the movie... And they use that to establish a whole TV show, but don't they don't necessarily connect. But as a kid with Highlander, the problem is that they introduce Connor McCloud. They take the movie character and throw him in the TV show. Yeah. So that that kind of blurs the lines a little bit. Um, you know, it'd be like having the Starman TV show and having Jeff Bridges alien character be in the same show with the other alien and like what okay whatever um so yeah christopher lambert was in the first episode of highlander the tv show um you know they fight uh richard mull which um i have not watched the new night court yet but i have not seen his face in any of the cast and i'm kind of like why not it's not like he doesn't still do acting what the hell (laughs) um other than that, I have heard good things about the new Nightcore. But anyways, uh, Richard Maul threatens Duncan McCloud. Um, and apparently he had caused some problems for Christopher Lambert's character. It's kind of hinted that, you know, Connor somehow, some way. Uh, I'm not sure if that means killing someone he loves or whatever. But, you know, Connor wants to take him out. Duncan's like, hey, he's on my turf, so it's my deal. And one of the great things about Highlander the TV series is that it doesn't make the mistake that Highlander the movies did by starting off at the end of the gathering. Right. It starts off at the beginning of the gathering saying that there are hundreds, if not thousands of immortals out there and they are all coming, you know, to this place and, you know, apparently in New York and Paris, if they decide to move the show to Paris. <laughs> and, um, you know, the gathering is kind of this slow build. They haven't quite gotten to it. And so, 
you know, that is happening um, in the TV show, and it runs for like five or six years. Uh, Connor does not show up again after the first episode. It's kind of it's kind of forgotten a little bit. Well, they mention him a couple of times throughout the show. I haven't seen every single episode, but I've seen uh, a good portion of it. Um, I, but you're I right, he doesn't appear. I used to watch it all the time, and then I just kind of lost track of it. Like, right before they killed off the side character, Richie, I was kind of like, eh, whatever. Um, it ran for several years. It spawned a spinoff that died really quickly because it made no damn sense. Um, <laughs> I started watching then, the spinoff. We'll have to talk about that at some point. Uh, yeah, you'll have to get me to try and watch an episode to sit through it. Anyway. <laughs> um, also, at the same time, Star Trek Generations had come out. So they had a movie where Captain Picard meets Captain Kirk, and of course they kill off Kirk. So this was kind of the kind of a vibe. It was the idea to make a movie where the old character, the older version, passes the baton, so to speak, and says, "Okay, now it's your turn." And that's how I feel. They they when they came up with this idea, like let's do a fourth Highlander movie. What are we going to do? Well, we just canceled Highlander TV show. I feel like it's time for. Um, and why can't I remember Duncan McLeod's name? What the actor? Uh, Adrian Paul, Paul. Adrian Paul. It's Adrian Paul's time to take over the franchise. Christopher Lambert at this point, uh, he was blind even back in like the first movie. His eyesight was like bad. He's had, but he's got my kind of eyesight. He's had bad eyesight all his life. So, um, so much so that there's all sorts of like stories about how he almost like cut people's fingers off and stuff whenever they're doing sword fighting. Um, so you know he's getting long in the tooth. It's kind of hard to portray him as an immortal when he looks like he's 60, you know? <laughs> right. So, you know, they decide we're going to do this Endgame, this Highlander Endgame movie. Now, I won't talk about the trailer until after the movie, but this is a movie that is nothing to do with Highlander 1, 2, and 3. It is a sequel to the TV series, but it does involve... Christopher Lambert and it does involve elements of the first movie um, you know so I, I, I had a note here it's like Highlander the series the movie I always just assume that like the events of the first movie was happened but it wasn't like the end game wasn't the uh, the prize there was just the confrontation between Connor the other immortals in the movie and then eventually the Kurgan and then he didn't win the prize because there was more immortals to fight. That was just my well, assumption. Well, I guess I guess you have to kind of look at it like in this universe, he and the Kurgan did fight. But, you know, yeah, like you said, like it's not, the gathering wasn't done. Right, because Rachel, that's her name, Rachel, uh, Connor's Rachel daughter, Ellenstein. shows yeah, up. Rachel Ellenstein. Very briefly. Yeah. So, um, one of the things, you know, like I said, the problem with this kind of production and limited internet back in the day was that the producers didn't like sit down and tell people like, yeah, it's a sequel to the movie. Ignore the last two movies. Pretend that the first movie didn't have the ending it had and Kurgan never said you and I are the last. Um, <laughs> you know, um, there was no one there to really say that. It just happened. We just dealt with it, I guess. Um, it does. The movie itself, comparatively to the other three movies, does feel like a long TV movie. Um, I'm imagining they probably use the same camera team, uh, production team uh, for Highlander the Raven, Highlander TVs, because because it has like it has the same vibe. The camera movements all feel like the like the TV show. The look of it feels like the TV show. Even I the text agree. crawl, like when they say they're in Paris or whatever, it's the same text crawl from the TV show. 
Um, so yeah, it is one long TV movie, but we start off with um, we start off the flashback, or no, we start off with just them meeting. That's why it feels very TV movie. Uh, Connor and Duncan hanging out on the street, and oh my god, Connor's hair in this movie horrible, so horrible. He must, I, I don't know whether or not he's going bald or whatever, but I was like, why don't you have your same hair from Highlander 3 or the first Highlander movie? Why grow, just grow it out a little, but don't. Maybe yes, you could have just done with a, a wig and made it look like Highlander 2 where he just had long hair. Oh, God. Well, they do the flashback where he's wearing the wig. He looks horrible in that, too, because it's like, damn, you're old. I mean, it's not his fault. I mean, every, we all get older. It's not right. for Lambert's fault. No, but... I don't blame him at all. I blame the set, the, the costume designer who says, let's go with this slick back mullet. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. That looked horrible. That looks so horrible. I mean, He's... it's better than the alternative hiring a younger actor to play Connor and, and that would piss people off even more. So yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I get that. But I, I do feel they could have given him better hair. I'm just like, man, that hair looks like shit. Um, Cause like I said, he has this like weird, like top of his hair is long and pulled back. And whenever he starts fighting and stuff, it like falls out of place and just looks so silly. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he's depressed as hell, and Duncan doesn't know why. Um, and Connor won't tell him why. And so Connor, they they part ways after Duncan uh, bitches about a hot dog. Um, <laughs> skim feeling the ketchup. Um, and they do a thing that I absolutely hated. Um, they get to. Uh, Connor's antique store and Rachel's there and on the TV is a VCR capture or DVD capture of old footage of Rachel and Connor um, you know as Rachel grows up and all the times in her life that Connor's been there for her and I'm like well I know where this is heading yeah this is clear that the villain's about to take out Rachel I'm like no <laughs> and the phone rings and you know, Rachel picks up the phone and, of course, they blow her to hell. Um, and you see the look on Connor's face and, and he screams and then it flashes forward to this new um, element. And, we, you know, what people who have not seen the TV show um, would have to realize is that in the TV show, they introduce an element that say, oh, yeah, humans know about you guys. We've been watching you for centuries. Yeah. Um, so the Watchers are a TV element not introduced in the other movies before this of humans that watch the Immortals down through the century and catalog their killings, their quickenings, all that stuff. But they, they're supposed to not interfere. Now, the funny thing is, if you introduce a group who are not supposed to interfere and it's a drama action TV show, guess what? They're going to interfere. Well, Yeah. <laughs> There'll um, be no drama otherwise if they just watched and did nothing. <laughs> real quick, this movie starts out, in my opinion, really good as far as like setting up the motivation for the bad guy, because it's like Kane doesn't have a motivation for hating Connor. Katana doesn't really have a motivation either. I guess the Kurgan they were technically warring factions, but even that, it's not as personal as "Hey, you killed my mother." And then he turned around and killed Kel's father. Um, right. So I thought that whole flashback sequence, I was like, holy shit, are we actually in a, a good movie where all the motivations are, make sense and there's a, a reason it's, for the villain to hate Connor? 
it's funny this this movie is a revenge movie it's not it's not just bad guy does bad things good guy responds it is people have made mistakes the heroes are flawed I, I will give this movie credit for that Duncan and Connor act out in in very stupid impulsive ways in their past and it bites them in the ass in the future right which As, makes you know sense. That's a very good story uh, story plot thread, and I commend this movie for having that. And Jacob Kell, overall, doesn't feel like a copy and paste of the Kurgan. He feels like his own character without obviously ignoring the fact that his name starts with a K. Um, but <laughs> having a, a religious fanatic as an immortal is in itself an interesting idea. Right. Um, we're not like we're introduced to this watcher group in the sanctuary before we're introduced to Kell because he's like Connor's sitting there, he's got like beard long gross nails and stuff he's been locked away because the watchers they're effectively trying to stop the game from happening because they don't they don't want a jacob kell they don't want a kurgan or a kane to win right they can't guarantee that a duncan or a connor will win um you know because 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 the good guys usually end up getting their head chopped off in this show and that's something they explored in the show a couple times too i don't think it was necessarily watchers but there were other um humans that banded together and tried to kill the immortals to try to get them to not win the well, prize. Typically in the show it's rogue watchers who do that. There's a rogue watcher who kills uh, Mythos that is like Duncan's mentor. He's his Ramirez so, so to speak. Oh you mean um, Darius? Not not Mythos, Darius. Oh da yeah yeah Darius. Sorry sorry. Mythos doesn't die to look good. Um <laughs> But yeah, like there, there are rogue watchers who do that. And that's what the sanctuary feels like. It's weird to me that it's a sanctioned one because yeah, we meet, we meet, meet up with Mythos in this movie and he explains the, the sanctuary to Duncan. Yeah. And I'm like, you're cool with that? Mr. Works with the watchers or you're, you're cool with the prize not happening. Okay. Whatever. Boy, my neighbors are loving this snow. They're just plowing like madmen. Um, <laughs> so yeah, we have a flashback. Uh, while Connor's hooked up in this sanctuary thing, and yeah, he's he you know he finds out that um, you know and we oh we also see Heather they bring back Heather the actual same actress so I was like yay awesome, um, but you know they 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 basically blame Connor's mom for all the stuff and what are you doing in my driveway? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I gotta stop filming in front of the window. I get all nebby. Um. But uh, yeah, the, uh, the the McClouds are blaming uh, Connor's mom uh, for some. I think I can't remember if it's like stillbirths, uh, animals dying, whatever. Yes, they um, they figure out that he's immortal, and they think that means that his mom's a witch. Right. So they 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 decide to put her on a trial, so to speak. And they're decided they've decided to execute her, and Connor gets news of this. Um. Decides to sneak back into town after he's been banished uh, to try and save his mom. And apparently his mom is already kind of in a bad way because they just, you know, she's old and they've just kind of let her go. Nobody's helping her and stuff. And Connor gets captured. And this is like where, like, I realized this movie is a little bit more bloody than the other Highlander films because he starts chopping legs off and stuff. And he pulls bars off of windows and stabs guys in the necks. And there's, like, blood everywhere. I'm like, damn, this movie ain't pulling any punches. Yeah. Mostly, like, most, like, Highlander 1, 2, and 3, the concept of beheading someone is obviously very violent and very graphic. But all the movies have been fairly edited to keep the gore down for the most part. 
probably because of that subject matter. Like, we can't go hardcore with this, you know? Right. Um, but with this movie, they're like, screw it, let's go. And they're not, they're not chintzy on the blood. So, um, Connor, of course, cannot save his mom. And Jacob's dad has condemned her to death. Connor tries to save her. Um, she she dies. Um, they put like gunpowder by her chest, so when the fire hits it, bam, she's out. And Connor's been knocked down, and, and the and the and the fire is starting to spread, and everything's going crazy. And the priest, Jacob Kell's uh, father, tries to basically I don't want to necessarily say comfort Connor, but like in a very kind of calming tone, he's like. You know, she's gone. You need to stop this. You need to go. Connor ain't having none of that shit. He stabs that boy. <laughs> I mean, I don't blame him. Him. I mean, if somebody burned my mother at the stake, I'd probably kill them too. <laughs> right. But he kills a priest and that is a big, you know, that's a big no-no. At least back then, you know. Right. And so the priest's son, Jacob, is like, what if you're done, you know, he's like, you killed my father and um, he stabs Jacob too, I believe. Yes, correctly. He stabs and, Jacob. And Jacob dies and comes back as an immortal. Right, obviously. right. So we fast forward to um, the present, and we're back at the sanctuary, and this is where we meet Jacob Kell's posse. All these crazy ass immortals. They went very full comic book um, with the characters, like the villains in this movie. Um, because they all have like crazy outfits and the watchers are all dressed up like monks with shotguns which I I loved (laughs) (laughs) Um, we're willing to kill everybody who comes near this place but Jacob of course is too fast and too powerful and oh and Jacob is played by Bruce uh, Bruce Payne Bruce Payne love that actor great character actor always plays a bad guy Always plays a bad guy, always over overacts, and I love it. Yeah, yeah, um, he's great. He was he was the he was on uh, what was it, Passenger Fifty Seven with uh, Wesley Snipes. Yeah, Wesley Snipes always bet on black. Um, he was the villain in Warlock Three. He was he replaced Julian Sands. Speaking of which, as of this recording, Julian Sands still missing, I believe, in California. He's been gone for like a week and a half. He went, I guess, hiking or whatever in the mountains. Oh wow. Um, so hopefully, you know, thoughts out to Julian's family and everything. They find him safe and sound, but still no word, um, on our original Warlock actor. Love the movies he was in. But Bruce was the Warlock in the third movie, and he was also the main, he was second tier villain in the Dungeons and Dragons movie, and he had this blue, blue lipstick on. It's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> but so yeah, Jacob, uh, you know, he gets into the sanctuary. Donnie Yen one of his uh, side uh, characters. He's such a badass. This is the first time I've ever seen Donnie Yen. And um, I thought he was in this movie. Yeah, yeah. He plays the general uh, Ling Kei or Ling Kuei or whatever. <coughs> um, and he uh, he does this cool stuff with his helmet. He uses it as a weapon. He, he flips around, takes shotguns out of people's you know hands and stuff. And our listeners, uh, you know, all seven of them, uh, if you if you watch Star Wars Rogue Run Rogue One, you have seen Donnie Yen. Donnie Yen is the guy who's like, I am one with the Force, and the Force is with one with me. You know that guy. So that is Donnie Yen, and he is brilliant. Um, 
they break into the um, sanctuary and they just start killing guys. They're like, which one of you is caught on the cloud? And he starts killing everybody. So you just kind of, it looks like Jacob has killed Connor. Yeah. Like the way they set it up. Um, so we finally get to our hero of the story, uh, Duncan, who's in Paris and he's doing his Tai Chi. And then, um, you know, he feels a disturbance. He feels something's wrong. <clears throat> and he gets a phone call from a mysterious woman who basically says, if you're wor- worried about Connor McLeod or you fear something about Connor McLeod, fear the worst. Um, just basically sets Duncan up to be like, what the hell's going on? Right. And so Duncan reaches out to Mythos um, and finds out that uh, Connor uh, put shelved himself away, like took himself out of the game and that the place where Connor was uh, stationed at has been annihilated. Um, so then of course, you know, Duncan's now gonna go on this investigation to see what happened to, um, his great, great cousin, basically. Um, which leads him to New York, uh, to the, uh, the old antique store, which is now boarded up and burned out and everything. And he finds the inner sanctum. And I love every time they cut to Connor's inner sanctum in these movies. I love that thing. I love it. It's like a little mini museum. Yeah, it's always so fun. Uh, and then they have a, a flashback of Connor and Duncan where uh, they meet Kate. So you got to have another K. Two <laughs> Ks. Um, that'd be funny if all the immortals in the posse had K. I didn't check. <laughs> didn't Connor have a love interest that was also named Kate? Um, in the first movie, I think. Was it? Yeah, wasn't that, wasn't that the first lady's like, he's a demon. Burn him. I think so. Um, but yeah. So, yeah. And then they, um, of course, we have to have our first, uh, well, we, we, we have the flashback where they bring in WWE wrestler The Edge. <laughs> I thought I recognized that guy. I was like, I know that guy from somewhere. And then now that you said that. Yeah. And uh, Duncan does this thing where he sneaks under him and has a sword by his uh, testicles. He's like, looks like you lost your edge. <laughs> uh, like, wanted to hear a drum beat, like, Bruce. I was like, oh my God. And, and at the time, Edge was pretty, pretty big at the time. He wasn't like, like you say Edge now, it's like, who? <laughs> you know? But that was like the attitude era, kind of, you know, of the times. But. I'm not big on wrestling now, but yeah, at the time I liked the edge and I was like, oh, he's in the movie. Isn't that fun? Uh, but then come to the present and we are introduced to the, you know, we introduced Duncan, Duncan to the posse. And now he realizes that um, Kate is involved and, you know, this, this guy, Jacob Kale is talking about Connor and revenge and all this other stuff. And they start fighting and um, there's a great fight scene between Duncan and Donnie Yen. Yeah. And, and Donnie, um, I believe he was also a stunt coordinator on the film. I, I believe that. Um, and, and so they worked together to, to make this really awesome hand-to-hand fight. And yeah. Going on there. Adrian Paul has his own YouTube channel. He's got a couple of videos talking about working with Donnie, and I would highly recommend checking out. Yeah, I, I mean, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta check it out on there. I, I like, I like uh, Adrian Paul. I do follow him on things. I. 
I loved him all the way back from when War of the Worlds had their second season. They introduced him as a character. Like I've, I've been an Adrian Paul stan since 1990. I've met him. <laughs> He's a nice guy. I'll have to run into him at a con someday. But um, so yeah, they, uh, you know, the fight comes to an end when the uh, gangbanger, which I know that guy has played. I really wish I'd done my IMDb research before this. Ugh, whatever. I'm such a failure. Uh, just shoots uh, Duncan out the window. <laughs> he shoots Duncan out the window. And the watchers come to take Duncan's body because they need to start a new inquiry. Yeah. Um, and, of course, Jacob Kell was a little pissed off that this dude shot him because, you know, he, you know J- Jacob wanted to do a couple more, uh, you know, quotes, a couple more speeches. <laughs> I mean, those religious people like to talk. <laughs> so he chops off that dude's head. And this is one of those things where the posse, I, I really think more movies with these immortals, they're going to keep doing groups. They need to kind of like explain why you're still loyal to an asshole who just chopped off your buddy's head in front of you. Well, they kind of imply later that it's like a cult. And I, you know, there's overall, I like the movie. We can, go into that later but i feel like the the plot of this movie could have been would have been great for the final season of highlander like season seven or whatever they could have done a 10 episode uh story right like like i said this does feel like a tv movie so it kind of feels like they should have done that and i and, and and ironically enough the same thing happened with star trek generations the last the movie star trek generations was supposed to be the last couple episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation and the last couple episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation was supposed to be their movie. They flipped them around. It's so weird. Um, the logic behind that, I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I guess they wanted to trash the Enterprise, save Kirk for the movie, so they had to switch it. But, um, So, you know, Duncan's being carted away, but of course, Mythos and uh, um, Joe played by Jim Byrne. Ah, love him. Uh, rest in peace. There's another one gone. Um, they, they rescue Duncan and they start telling him about Jacob Kell and saying, you know, they start bringing up, they, they brought up Kurgan. They, I, I think, I think they name dropped Kurgan at that point. Maybe yeah, I'm wrong. They, they name dropped Kurgan in this show, but right. They said that Kell had 666 kills or something like that. I'm like, that's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they they really draw up the religious symbolism with with Cal. Yeah. Um. Eventually, Connor and Duncan meet up again. Is Connor or Duncan thinks Connor's dead, but he's like, you know, in a cemetery. Um. And at the same time, uh, Kel and Kate show up. One, you know, got to have a big meeting here. And one thing that Kel says. It, earlier in the movie is that he doesn't care about the, the the gathering. He doesn't care about the prize. He just wants revenge. And he, he's been... And the funny thing is, he's such a psychotic. Imagine a person who wants revenge, but they're also immortal. This guy has been screwing Connor's life from the get-go. Um, in a deleted scene... Well, in the movie, they imply, but in a deleted scene, it is implied that he helped kill Brenda... He killed Rachel. He killed, you know, he's just like, he's like, I did this, 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 this to you. 
I'm gonna keep doing this stuff to you until you are so desperate and alone. You'll beg me to cut your, you know, cut your head off. Yeah. Um, and, and it's just that it's like Connor's broken. Connor is such a broken person in this movie. And that's you mentioned Christopher Lambert being an underrated actor. I think he sells this pretty well. Like I felt bad for him. Yeah, he does. It's it. It's one of those things where. Like I going through it, it, it angered me to see how broken he was and all that other stuff. It's like, come on, get up, fight. But then I have to look at it like this way, like like the Star Wars fans who got mad at Luke being angry and bitter after after freaking forty years. And I was just like, no, this is like actual natural progression for something. Like this is actually like you would be, you know, if there's a guy who's been screwing with your life for hundreds of years and everything, you'd be a little downtrodden. <laughs> yeah, little... And I mean, on top of that, Connor's lost so many people. Right, right. Um, and so at this point, we start to realize that, you know, this guy plans on killing Duncan to punish Connor. That's his plan. Right. He's like, I've killed everybody else. I'm going to go after your cousin here, and then I'll come for you. Um, at the same time, you see Kate there, and Kate is, you know, mean mugging Duncan. And we're kind of like, what did Duncan do to piss this lady off? What the hell did he do? Well, <laughs> was she ever mentioned out. in the TV show, or is this the, the only time that she's been ever this, seen or mentioned? This is the only time she's seen or mentioned, and she's quickly replaced after this. Um, and there are two different versions of this movie. We'll talk about that when it comes yeah. to Kate. But um, yeah, she's introduced for this movie, and it's kind of funny because there've been in the TV show. There's been plenty of love, you know, loves lost and whatever shown in flashbacks and there is of course the the raven right i can't remember her name but <laughs> um but yeah she's new for this and i think there was original plans to have her be that character from the raven or whatever and like maybe there was a falling out or whatever or scheduling I, like this, conflict. I, I like this making her a separate character because of what duncan does to her um so we flash back to like connor and duncan and Connor's doing his, his Ramirez thing where he's like, yeah, um, you need to leave her because you're immortal and she's not. You're going to watch her die and this sucks. And he's like, but no, I know she's immortal. I can feel it. So this is the thing they kind of introduced in the TV show that feels like a cop-out right? sometimes. Because in a TV show, they introduce Richie. They don't imply he's an immortal until they kill uh, Duncan's love interest and shoot him too, but he survives. Now all of a sudden he's an immortal they knew all along. I'm like, okay, but you never trained him for anything. You never thought maybe I should take his life to activate him. Maybe I should explain all this. He knows I'm an immortal. He's in danger, whatever. You know, they don't explain that. It just happens. And that's what I mean about the show and the movies playing fast and loose with the rules and how things work. But turns out Kate has the seed to become an immortal, but she can't have kids. And they kind of imply that women who are not immortal but have the potential to be immortal might be able to have kids. Right, but nobody knows. Before before they die. Like, if you don't get killed first, maybe you'll have a baby. Because they kind of imply that because Kate gets really mad about what happens next. I get what she gets. I get why she gets mad. I get why she gets mad. Yeah. Because on their wedding night, Duncan decides to kill her. <laughs> right. <laughs> Doesn't explain anything to her. Doesn't kill himself in front of her or anything and say like, hey, here's the deal about me. Now I need to let you know that you have this potential as well. And we can live forever. 
But if you don't want that, I understand that. But I will love you, like, you know, for as long as you live. But we could be mortal together. Nope. He just stabs her ass. <laughs> yeah, this is why I think this plot would have done well as part of the TV show. Because they could have built up to it. Or, right. you know, spent more time with it. Like, I mean, if they are going to have Duncan make that fucked up decision, uh, at least, like, build up to it. It's It's very sudden in the movie because of the runtime right right we don't have it's 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 like one of those things where everybody hates ben affleck's daredevil movie but the reason why people hate it is it's not spread out like the frank miller book would be you know what i mean so you're, you're getting like a daredevil greatest hits i think I know, I know a lot of people just hate ben affleck or being a ben affleck but the movie itself is actually a pretty good greatest hits of frank miller like born again all that kind of stuff um you just kind of kind of look at it like that way but yeah, with, with all the information going on in this movie, it being a crossover slash TV slash movie tie-in, changing of the guard, whole posse of like six villains, you know, it's like, there's a lot going on. Right. So, you know, Duncan does this thing. He literally, I mean, we're, we're talking metaphorical rape. Like he, he like there's non-consensual act going on here. Yeah. And as far as I'm concerned, he's a bigger bastard than Connor in this. But Jacob Kell has this self-righteous need to feel avenged. So, you know, good luck trying to make him realize that. <laughs> so at this point, you know, we're, we've seen that. And Duncan goes to Kate, like he tracks her down. Because Kate is also a fashion designer. She is this very famous fashion designer, which is... I always think it's funny when they introduce characters in this TV show who have like fame and fortune and are well known because it shouldn't work. You know what I mean? It, you you got to somehow explain how you haven't aged 20 years and you're in the limelight like that. Do you fake your death? Do you say you've got a twin, you know, or, you know, you had kids and you disappear for a while? It's, it's weird like that. But yeah, right now she's a famous fashion designer. Um, Duncan tries to appeal to her. And, you know, he comes back to her again at her hotel room. And we have a love scene. And it, again, it feels very Red Shoe Diaries. It feels very softcore porn. But at least with this one, they have a past. Right. <laughs> you know. And that, that's not the first time Duncan's just had like a wham, bam, thank you, man, with a past immortal lover. I mean, that happened several times in the TV show. Right. So, you know... She basically has a one night stand with him and says, yeah, um, I just wanted to feel something. Get out of my uh, hotel room. <laughs> and um, I'm trying to remember at this point, does the movie cut to the villains all gathering together and having the last supper? Yes. Okay. So we have our last supper scene. Um, and I'm trying, I'm trying to remember cause I, I kinda, I didn't have time to watch this whole movie. I had to like kind of, I started and stopped, but I watched this movie so many damn times being the desperate Highlander fan that I am. Um, so, you know, Kel has gathered everybody together, even including Kate. Um, and he basically, you know, says you're my flock and I, you know, I get my sustenance from you. And at that point, Donnie Yen is like, oh, shit, I have made a huge mistake. <laughs> right. He's, he's one of the only ones that realizes. Right. And then the other cares. ones, like you said, they're very culty. So they've got this zealotous kind of like standing there while he just starts chopping people's heads off. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, <laughs> there are two different versions of the movie, especially when it comes to this scene. In one version, Donnie Yen gets taken out by Cal. In another version, Donnie, being the badass that he is, puts sword into the wall and throws his head forward and chops his own head off. Not sure which one you saw. <laughs> uh, I saw the theatrical cut, so Kel killed all of them. Right. Kel killed Kate, didn't he? Yeah. Okay, which, so which theatrical cut, Kel takes out everybody, including Duncan's, uh, you know, Duncan's former love. Right. In a director's cut, it's it's very um, ambiguous. You don't you see like her jewels falling, but you don't see her dying. You don't see her die. Um, so in the director's cut, you don't know. You you just assume she's dead. No, no. Um. So meanwhile, you know, while Kel has decided to up the ante on his kills to be even more powerful to go after Duncan, Duncan meets up with Connor. And this is the scene that all of us Highlander fans were always wondering from day one. Because they always do this thing in the Highlander movies. Uh, there's a guy who trains the Highlander character. And they're like, you know, if it came down to the two of us, would you take my head? That's, that's the vibe, right? Like, we're buddies. But the whole idea is there can be only one. What is to happen? And this movie is passing the baton of the movie. It was supposed to. It was supposed to be Duncan's film series going on for, you know. Um, and so Connor has come to the decision that only one of them will survive Jacob Kell. The two of them, you know, he's like, we can't do the rule. We can't break the rules ourselves where the two of us together attack him. But if one of us takes the quickening of the other, their power combined would be enough like in this movie, they kind of, and it's a thing I hate that people do nowadays. Like when they talk about characters, when 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 people talk about fight scenes these days, they're like, "Oh man, that character's so powerful! I don't understand how they died." And it's like because it's the fucking story, it's not a video game. We're not playing a role play game where his stats were higher than the other guy's stats, so we just did math and beat him. You know what I mean? This movie does that a bit. It does. It, it counts quickenings as stats. Yeah, you know, and 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 I think I kind of like the idea of the kid. I don't really like it now, but um, so the idea in Connor's head is they need to combine their power, and the only way that's going to work is if they fight. And so Duncan tries to plead with them, and it's like, no, 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 I don't want to fight you. You're my brother. And Connor's like, we've been preparing for this moment all our lives. Some, there's some good dialogue here where I'm just like, this yeah. is, I don't want to see this happening, but I have to see it. Adrian like, Paul and Christopher Lambert's chemistry is really good. Like it's on par with Lambert's chemistry with Connery. Yeah, it's a it's a train wreck. You 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 don't want to see what's coming because you know, like to me, Connor is my favorite. I grew up with the movies. I like Duncan, but Connor's my favorite. I don't want to see either one of them die, but I know what this film is, and it's got to happen. What really sucks, what really sucks the life out of this movie, like in this scene, is that they decided to film, because like, you know, remember in the first movie, they're filming in front of the Silver Cup, and it's pretty cool, the lights are falling down and everything. I don't know who did the location shooting for this, and the director must have been super frustrated, because all previous cuts after this, they blur it out. There's a giant JVC sign on a roof across the way on the building they're like like in front of the building they're fighting like on the rooftop 
And I remember that JVC sign when I saw it in the theaters. I was like, damn, that is bright and that is really distracting. <laughs> and then they got the brilliant idea to blur it out in all like the cuts afterwards. And I was like, you made it worse because <laughs> now there's a giant blurry block in the background. Yeah, and the, the theatrical cut, it's not blurred. So I just had the sign. Right, right, right. But in, in the other cut, they blurred it. I'm like, oh my God, why? Just just accept it and move on because um, I can accept the JVC sign being in the background. I can't accept the gelatinous blob in the background just hovering there. <laughs> like, I'm like, oh, wow. In this world world of Highlander, they blur out signs. And, it, and it, it's just, you know, you know what I mean? It just, it breaks the fourth wall altogether there with the blurring. I'm like, uh, it's, it's, it's like when you see interviews with people and they're wearing t-shirts with uh you know sponsored logos and and the and the the people don't want to pay the rights to it so they blur it out so annoying um so they fight and connor locks duncan into this unbeatable um stance which they showed in a previous flashback and just just hearing the desperation in duncan's voice where he's like don't do this don't do this man don't do this and Connor just kind of is like, it's all right. It's okay, Duncan. It'll be okay. And, I'm, and I, I guarantee you when I saw this in theaters, I bet I had a tear in my eye. I bet I did. As silly and as bad as this movie is, and I, th- I think we pointed out some really good points today about what is a good movie about it, but I get the hokiness at the same time. Um, you know, I, I hate this moment. And, you know, they do the thing where they flip the sword around and Connor, you just you just see his head kind of tilt back, and they do like the brush of white light, and they start flashing back, and it's done. I don't know how you felt about it. How did you how did you feel about that? I mean, it it sucked, but I mean, it was inevitable. That's what Highlander is. There can be only one. So I mean, eventually one of them had to go. I mean, obviously you want a happy ending, but that would be a cop cop out. Right. Well, it wasn't going to be the old guy who's blind and can't really do sword fighting for the next six films. So. Right. <laughs> and uh, I, I believe, I believe wholeheartedly, they planned on making this a film franchise again. They right. planned on doing more movies with Duncan. I'm sure. Um. So now you know we cut to the training montage where Duncan is, you know, he's kind of meditating slash doing um, Tai Chi and other stuff. And, uh, you know, and um, I, I even think that is actually in the same place where he and Connor trained in the first episode of the series. I feel like oh, really, it feels very similar. I could be wrong. Maybe they can I mean, afford it. I'll, I'll buy it. <laughs> but it looks like because like, isn't there like piles of dust and stuff in the background and things? And I, like, yeah, right. you know what? You're right. I didn't make that connection, but I mean, I would be happy to have make that connection. Yeah, I don't. I'm not normally. I'm not. You know me. I'm not usually the film theory guy who likes to put headcanon in. But I always felt that it was that same place they were they were implying there that he was training in a place they trained last. You know. Um. So now we get to the final battle, which is abandoned factory time again. Yeah, another abandoned factory. Yep. Um, I don't necessarily think this film, this battle, is memorable. Um, I think it's okay. I think you know, but it's not. It's not the the Highlander three battle. It's not the Highlander two battle. It's certainly not the first Highlander battle. But. 
one of the things they do in um oh my uh fiance just came home early cool and she made it through the driveway so i don't have to i don't have to shovel up great um so <laughs> we're about to get interrupted here in a minute but one of the things uh about the fight is like i said they keep doing this they do this weird thing with this morph where duncan's face starts morphing morphing into connor and connor has has lines you know and he's like don't you want me inside you and it's a line oh god yeah yeah such a creepy weird line i'm like Ew. <laughs> um and then uh and then duncan of course does a backflip over bruce Payne, and uh chops his head off <laughs> um and then of course you have a quickening now in the theatrical version it just cuts to Scotland. They play the Bonnie Portmore song again. And he buries Connor, if I'm correct. Yeah, that, that's how it ends. And uh, in, great the direct, sorry, yeah, in the director's cut, he does that. But then he also goes to a film fashion show and finds out that Kate is alive. Which makes no goddamn sense. <laughs> There's no she way even, Kel would let her live. That's the thing. Like, he even asks. He's like, how are you? He's like, Kel, just let me go. And I'm like what <laughs> there's yeah there's nothing in his character development that would allow that yeah so it's just one, it's just one of those things um and the movie's over and i was excited for the next film that duncan was gonna be in and i would end up waiting god i don't know five six years maybe i don't know i haven't <laughs> yeah we'll have to talk about that one next time okay um, i still have to rewatch it yeah, and I'm gonna have to rewatch it too. And oh my god, this is gonna be punishment. But I will do it. I will do it. Highlander the Source, guys. Next time we will we will talk about Highlander the Source, and we'll get this Highlander um, out of the way. I am not doing a review of Highlander the animated series. So <laughs> I how do does have Endgame with I, you I, rank with the other uh, sequels? Um, say again. How does Endgame rank for you with the other sequels? Like, how do you think it fares against the other three? Obviously, it doesn't match the first one. Um, I feel like they're all like in the same ranking. How do you, I don't know how to do it because they're all they all have weird moments. They all have awkward things. They all have some cheap effect shots in some way, shape, or form. They all have bad plot holes, plot conveniences. You, you know what I mean? Do I think Do I think Highlander Endgame is no, I, I like honestly, I, I I put them all in the same nil. They're like, eh. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I can't judge one over the other. I I re I rewatch them every once in a while. I can say this: two, three, and four are miles better than five. Five is this huge pit of a drop off that I'm just like I can't. Like I don't know. Highlander two originally I would say is at the bottom of the pit before Highlander five came out. But when Highlander Five came out, it elevated Highlander Two. <laughs> I don't, I don't know how else to explain that, but yeah. So. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll watch the source and we'll get back. Um, maybe I'll talk a snippet about the animated series. The anime is really good. It's also a separate universe too. I don't know if you ever seen the anime. No. Um, check that out and get back to me on that one. But um, I gotta go. Before I go, uh, do me a favor and go ahead and uh, pitch your book. 
Uh, as always, I write urban fantasy and paranormal thrillers. You can check me out at Charles Ross, either on Amazon or YouTube, where I talk about movies and other fun stuff. And I'm Roy Stiffy. You can check me out as Crocopus Art on Twitter, Crocopus Art on Facebook, um, and Roy D. Stiffy on Instagram. Also, I have a uh, store on tpublic.com where you pick up t-shirt designs under Crocopus Art. Uh, I hope everybody enjoyed our uh, dissection of Highlander 3 and 4. And uh, probably check me out next week. We'll talk about something and we'll try to schedule in Highlander the Source That's one of great. these days. <laughs> so say goodbye. See ya. All right. See you later, gang. <laughs>